It's good to be together. And God bless you for coming out. Love, love seeing the rain. Love this time of year. And of course, later on, we'll love seeing the hotter weather too. So it just depends on who you are. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house and to worship you and to fellowship as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and thank you, Father, for your grace. Father, you have given us so much, more than what we can even comprehend this side of heaven. But you have saved our souls as we put our faith in you. You have given us new life. Death has no claim on us, just like no claim on Jesus, because we are in you and you are in us. We are free from that. And thank you for the power that you give us to live in your power above our sinful nature, Father. And I pray, Father, that you help us to rely on you more and more and more and to walk in your spirit and in your grace and in your power and in your victory, that we might have hearts that are overflowing with praise to you, Father. Father, for this message, I ask that you just bless it and carry it and preach it and use it for, for your kingdom work, not just to in each of our lives individually, but collectively as a body of Christ, Father. And I pray, Father, that you will accomplish what you want to accomplish through it. For your glory and your praise, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking, we're, you know, the series of messages that we have is uh, miracles and signs. And today's message is spring cleaning. That's what we're looking at is the title of the message is spring cleaning. And so we're going to get a better understanding how that applies to us spiritually. Because last week we started this message series, Miracles and Signs, talking about the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. That was definitely what we would call a miracle, right? It spoke of the abundant life and blessings that God desires to give each one of us as we have received Christ as our Savior. He wants to bless us abundantly. We have to remember that the more we yield to God, the more God is able to bless us. The less we yield to him, the more restriction it is for God to pour out some of, the, some of those blessings. So today I want us to look at a sign that Jesus performed right after the miracle of turning the water into wine. And you might be saying to yourself, aren't miracles and signs the same thing? They can be, and your Bible translations can use those words interchangeably, but sign does not have to be a miracle, okay? A sign can be, in essence, what it is, a sign, but not necessarily a miracle. For example, some definitions for sign. One, an unexpected or extraordinary event that made someone stop and take notice of God's presence and work in the world. We probably could search our hearts or testimonies in our own lives or in the lives of other people where God had intervened with some sort of a sign that made it plain and clear that this is what God wanted them to do. Secondly, something done or given to warn people or execute divine judgment. So I'm trying to get your attention. There's a sign. And the other is to warn people or to execute divine judgment. So with those definitions in mind, I want us to... Uh, in today's section, uh, the next section in John chapter 2 is a sign. It's, it's, it's written as a sign. And many times we read the biblical accounts and think of them as single events in the Bible. Many times uh, they're connected in some way. Do you remember what we read last week in John chapter 2, verses one through 11 through 12? This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. 
After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. You know, he had a bit of an entourage of people with him, family and disciples, and, you know, not just the disciples that we know by name in Scripture, but I'm sure there were others that were following along as well. So right after Jesus did the miracle in Cana of Galilee and changing the water into wine, Jesus heads up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Remember, the turning water into wine was the first miracle in his ministry. This is the, the mark of his beginning ministry. So he was 30 years old. His ministry was for three years. And then he died on the cross. All right? So going to the Passover in Jerusalem was a required pilgrimage of all males. And they were supposed to go up to Jerusalem three times a year. In Deuteronomy 16, 16, it says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. They have their sacrifices and their offerings, right? The miracle Jesus had just performed was a miracle of transformation. Are you different now that you know Christ? Well, just from the fact that you know Christ, you become a new creature because you receive him into your life. And we have a new nature in Christ Jesus. And he has a, he's constructed us to be a unique individual that we have to uncover as we shed off our sinful habits and our sinful nature and learn to live in him. We are a new creation in him. Uh, and we're changed when we receive him. But as we follow him, we should be seeing change in our life and who we are and our character and our behavior and our thinking, our priorities and our walk with Jesus. He wants to transform us into the best in him that we can be this side of heaven. And so we, we can rejoice in the fact that God is in a transforming ministry to transform our lives from darkness to light, to to absolute ineptness in him, to fullness of power in walking with Christ. Jesus transforms something ordinary into something extraordinary, just as he does with us when we receive him as, as our Savior. Right? He's changed us instantly. We become a child of God when we receive him as our Savior. But he also has given, us a, given each one of us a new character in him a new person, put on the new man, put off the old man, Scripture talks about. And so it's exciting to discover who we have been created to be in Christ Jesus as we follow him. So God brought Israel out of Egypt, as we know, one of the greatest events in, in biblical history. But he had to take Egypt out of Israel. The influence of paganism, the influence of the world they lived in, the influence of you know, the lack of realization of the power of God and grace of God and love of God on their lives, even though God was still actively involved with his people, um, but unbeknown to them. God has to take the Egypt out of Israel, just like he has to take Egypt out of us. And this purging of taking Egypt out of Israel introduced true freedom in their lives. As they followed the Lord and yielded to the Lord and, and allowed that transformation to take place, they found freedom in Christ. 
So what happened after, the, the, after Jesus turned the water to wine in that transformation miracle? Look at John 2, 14 through 16. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, we don't think about Jesus making a whip of cords, do we? Just the thought of a whip, you know, of cords. Wow. He drove them all out of the temple. With, I, 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 I got to stop there. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there in the temple, starting his ministry, and he's, I'm assuming, sitting there. He's got the material to make this whip, and he's making this. Do you think his mind is blank? <laughs> no. He's, he's probably praying to the Father, and he's thinking about how the, his people have turned from proper focus on him. It's a shame that God had to make a whip to emphasize his point. When he had a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Was that a, a calm experience? It just walked by and just said, no, it was a dramatic, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Thank you, I'll take it. Okay, it was a dramatic scene, all right? And it wasn't just, con just an easy scene. It was dramatic. It was bold. It was, it was something that we don't think about Jesus being gentle. It was Jesus being very assertive, right? So he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Then he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of miracles. Excuse me? Oh, good, you're following. Is that a good back paddle for me? <laughs> my father's house of merchandise. Thank you. And what is Jesus doing by these actions in the temple? We're talking about what? Transformation? But with transformation, you have to have purification. You have to have purification. Jesus is purifying the temple, getting rid of the sin in the temple. The temple was being ineffective because the focus was not what it ought to be. After the transformation miracle, Jesus performed a sign of purification at Passover time. See, he did the transforming power of the water to wine, then depicting a person's life being transformed. But then he goes to the temple and he purges the temple. There's a spiritual application for your life and my life in that, and hopefully we'll get that as we go through the message. I want to step back a little bit and talk about the Passover itself. Passover is known as, as Zaman Kerutinu, I think. Probably did, did not pronounce that right. In Hebrew, and it means time of freedom. Zaman is time. Kerutinu, okay? Time of freedom. That's what Passover is. Makes sense. During Egypt and the Passover, it's time for freedom, out of slavery, leading my people out of bondage into a newness in him, right? So what was the original request from God through Moses to Pharaoh? And in Exodus 7, 16, it says, And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Right? God's people needed to be freed from Egypt or sin so that they might serve him. Anytime you're studying scripture, you know that Egypt is a, is a typology of, of world sin. Okay? And we need to remember that that's what that is looking at. So, 
If we're in bondage to sin, we can never serve the Lord and fulfill our divine purpose fully. So whenever we're, we, we know we're not right with God, then we're not going to be able to really serve God the way God wants us to. Okay? But if we're doing our best, walking with God, keeping in step with him, walking in his spirit, uh, you know, confessing when we need to, keeping our hearts clean and right before God, then we're going we're gonna to fully serve God the way God intends for us to serve. And God intends for every single one of his children to serve him, one way or another. And he gives each one of us at least one or more spiritual gifts. And God wants us to use them so that we can experience him. So this symbolism of purging out sin is seen in the Passover celebrations to this very day. Leaven or yeast is to be completely cleaned out of Jewish homes, and only unleavened bread is to be eaten for the seven days of Passover week. Leaven represents sin. Now, I know we're going into a little Jewish history and, and practice, but it does apply to our lives spiritually. Because if anything that's sin is leaven, and leaven causes the, the you know, causes problems. Creates more and more problems. The more we sin, the more sin it builds upon. So this is why the transformation miracle is followed by the sign of purification. We've been transformed. When we receive Christ as our Savior, we became a new creature in Christ. A new creation, a new person, no longer the old person who's enslaved to sin, okay? So, transformation miracle, that miracle, as depicted, is followed by a sign of purification just in our lives. When we, when we follow Christ, when we receive him as our Savior, there should be a process of, in our life where we're listening to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is directing us to live in, in new ways, to think in his ways, to, to recognize the things that God doesn't approve of in our lives and to rely on his power to let go of those things and embrace him. That's part of that reflection of our own heart before God. It's a deliberate placement or timing of events by God and he's sending us a message. The, the picture biblically is the wine, the water to wine, the temple being purged. Spiritually, we receive Christ as our Savior. We've been made better, a new creation. And the next step is to make sure that the temple, we're living temples of God, are to be purged of sin. If we're going to be the vessel that God wants us to be in him. Right? Jesus began his earthly ministry by teaching us through a miracle and a sign. And there needs to be a transformation and purification in our lives. I've seen a lot of people receive Christ, jump up, be excited, get, you know, get baptized. But then that purification process doesn't take effect. And they're missing the mark of the new life that God has for them. It's when, the, when we love God enough to say, God, I realize that's not right, and I confess it to you, and I want to follow you and love you because you are the key to the fullest life that's possible this side of heaven. Then at the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus performed this purification in, in the temple again. Again. So in the, when he first started his ministry in, in Cana of Galilee, changing the water to wine, then the purging at the temple that followed, that was the beginning of his ministry. Three, late, three years later, he did it again. So it's bookend. 
at the beginning and at the end. In other words, purification is something that is not a one-time done deal. Purification needs to be maintained if we're going to walk with God because we walk with a sinful nature in a very dark and dirty world. I want us to look at Matthew 21, 12, and 13. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. At two Passovers, the, the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry there, Jesus bookend his ministry to show how important to him it was that what he has made holy and pure should remain that way. We don't like thinking of ourselves as being holy and pure because we're sinners. But we are made holy and pure in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus paid for all of our sins again past present and future when God the Father sees you and I he sees us absolutely clean he doesn't see our sin he sees us absolutely clean when we look at ourselves we just see the uncleanness <laughs> God sees the holiness but the Holy Spirit is telling us look look keep yourself unspotted from the world this is what James says and so with that, we need to remain in a state of being holy. Now, all that means is translate that. Remain in a state of close fellowship with Jesus. Because you can't have, uh, uh, you can't, you have to walk with him to be close to him. And you can't walk with him if you're just living in sin. Or we're, con or we're not confessing sin. We're not dealing with our relationship with God and how close we are supposed to be to him. So, let me uh, read again John 2.15. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, poured out the uh, changers' money and overturned the tables. Jesus took time to recognize the sin and then took time to make a whip of cords, and then used great energy and effort to drive the sin out. Remember, he wasn't uh, uh, very cavalier or very, you know what I mean, suave and walk through and flip the tables. and stuff. No, he was, it was high energy. It was a big deal. It was a lot of effort. He meant business, right? That's how you and I are supposed to be in our walk with Jesus. We are living temples of God and we are to make sure that we mean business when it comes to dealing with sin in our life. And then we rely on God to, to give us the grace and strength to have victory over those things in our lives. So we too must take time to recognize the sin in our lives and make efforts to drive it out from our lives. That means talking to God honestly in prayer and asking him to reveal your sin to you. Prayer, li prayer life should not be a one-way connection. You know what I mean? It's not us going to God telling him what we want and saying amen in Jesus' name, amen. It's going to God and talking to him openly and honestly, sure about concerns and things that we have need of or that we want or whatever. 
but it's a conversation with our Lord. And it's being willing to listen to him because God will speak to your heart and my heart at times about things that we didn't expect. And, and it could be in a small whisper. It could be plain as day. But he'll reveal things to us. And instead of closing our eyes or shutting our ears or running away from that, just to humbly go, oh, I hear you, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. And we keep taking care of those things in our heart that God wants us to take care of so that we can keep ourselves unspotted, so we can keep ourselves right with God. Because the, the, the more that we are right with God, the closer we are with God, the greater joy we have in God and in our life and our life purpose. Amen? I mean, really, the fullness of life comes through Jesus. And giving ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, pure, acceptable, and pleasing to God is what he requires of us. It's not an ultimate goal. It is a requirement if we're going to walk with him and be the people that God wants us to be in a, in a more significant manner in our lives, in a more effective way. Psalm 139, 23 and 24, and I love David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I call that the filleted fish on the dock. <laughs> you know, he's just sliced up and spread wide and says, just look at me. Can we do that? Are we willing to do that? Are we afraid to do that? You see, we don't have to be afraid of God because God loves us. What we have to be concerned about is how much we love him or not. <laughs> because we can learn to love sin more than we love God. And that keeps us in a state that we're not as close to God as God would have us to be. But David had a heart and said, look, Lord, I want you to examine me. I tell you what, that's, that is, it is scary. Because nobody likes to be examined. Nobody likes to be caught on the carpet, so to speak, and say, okay, God, tell me what it is you don't, don't like. You know what, I, I've asked God this before many times. But then I put a little cliche on the bottom, but go easy on me. <laughs> Don't tell me everything. <laughs> Not at once. I can't handle it. <laughs> you see, here's the thing. God knows what we can handle. Here, point out to us what he knows we need to know at the time that we're in prayer with him. He's not going to unload everything on us. It's going to be like squashing a bug. And so when we have a heart that's genuine and tender before God, that says, God, just... I love you so much, and I know this is hard, Father, but please just look at me. And, and I shudder at the thought of what you're going to see, because I know what I see, but I know you love me and I'm secure in you. So just look at me and tell me what things you want me to be aware of and to address before you. And then know that we can talk about those things. There are things that we can talk to God about in prayer that will actually surprise you that he's willing to have a conversation about. Because we're so nervous about talking about stuff, God already knows, but if we just talk to him honestly, he, he is so happy and pleased with us talking openly with him. That's what, that's what David did. Just, just point it out to me, Lord, and then let's talk about it. Not talk about it so I can get in my way. Talk about it so we can resolve it and, and have victory over those things. Isn't that wonderful? God loves us so much. We're secure in him. He loves us. He knows us. But he just wants us to be honest with him. I'll tell you what. Honesty before God. 
is a is a uh, a virtue that is 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 valuable, obviously, but it is something that is not easy. Because we're, we're we're being prayer, we're being honest with them, and then we realize the honesty that we're seeing about ourselves, and we're going, whew. But the Holy Spirit's right there saying, it's okay, I gotcha. I'm glad we're talking about this. And I love that relationship. Not that I want to be flayed open all the time, but I like that relationship. And then we need to confess and admit that we have sin. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it feel like to know that your, your conscience is clear and your heart is right with God? It feels good. <laughs> it's liberating. It's freedom. It's joy. It's a fulfillment in life that God wants us to experience in him. So every time we know that we mess up, obviously 1 John 1, 9, we ask God to forgive us. It can be about the most littlest of things to whatever. But we acknowledge it with a genuine heart. We say, God, forgive me. He not only forgives that, but he forgives us for all the things that we're doing wrong that we're not aware of for that, time, for that day. It's like wiping a clean slate every time we confess and we start over. And God forgets from that point on. And we can move forward. Praise God, he's able to forgive us and cleanse us. We're cleansed through the blood of Christ Jesus. We're saved by grace through faith in him. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But our conscience is cleared by God when we walk with him, talk with him, listen to him, respond to him, acknowledge to him, confess and repent and keep ourselves in check with God. That enables us to have a very close relationship with him. 2 Corinthians 7.10, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not eternal salvation, but being saved from the sin. In other words, we don't want sin alive and active in our life. So true repentance of that sin will nullify that activity. And we'll continue to rely on him. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, in other words, the process of having a examine me, Lord, and you talk about it, and then you realize really what you're seeing about yourself, and it crushes your spirit a little bit, and you just feel yourself sink like lead before the Lord, and maybe you bawl. But you know what? That repentance and that sorrow is good because it brings, um, it brings a, a right relationship with God. And praise God for that. True sorrow and repentance for our sin. Or did I, I didn't finish that verse. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The world, the world can say, God, I'm sorry, but not really repent. In other words, it's like the kid that's saying, Dad, I'm sorry because I got caught. <laughs> and I'm not really sorry that I did that. Right? That's worldly sorrow. Not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is about the broken heart before the Lord. But true sorrow and repentance for our sin will purify us and set us free. Don't we want freedom? Freedom and life and joy and purpose and, and relationship with Jesus? Of course. And it will enable us to fulfill our divine purpose 
and live that abundant life of transformation. Does it excite you at the thought of seeing God transform your life into something far better than what you are? That's, that's, that transformation is exciting. It's, it's fulfilling. It's, it's part of God's purpose and plan. He wants to transform us to be completely, is water and completely different than not just wine, but high quality wine? Absolutely. We like to buy a, cran, Kathy likes cran raspberry. I don't like it very much, but anyway. She likes cran raspberry juice. It's kind of pungent to me. So we found this great deal at Sam's, Costco, whatever it was. Two, bottles, two big jugs for one. And I took a sip of it just to taste it. Man, that is bad. And, and so I read the ingredients. It wasn't just cranberry and, ra and raspberry, but it was also water and grape juice and sugar and all this. It wasn't the quality stuff. Right? Makes a big difference. We want quality in our life in God. We want the fullness of God in our life. We want to see that richness of God transforming, reshaping, and making us for him. Jesus' first miracle of water to wine demonstrated his unique power, but the cleansing of the temple was the, was the first sign that bore witness of his unique relationship with the Father. Now hang on. There's a picture here of the relationship of Jesus with the Father, with him cleansing the temple, because in Jewish tradition, the children helped clean the house in preparation for the Passover. They helped remove all the leaven along with their parents. So Jesus, by purging the temple, is telling the Jewish people, I am God's son, and I'm helping my father clean out the leaven in the temple. God wants to help us clean out the leaven in our lives. The cleaning of the temple by Jesus at Passover pointed to him being the son of God. He brought attention to his true identity and authority. And Jesus' authority as the son of God and his power is what we can depend on and trust to transform us, purify us, and set us free to serve him. We're living temples of God. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Jesus Christ, lives inside our hearts. We know him. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God because we've asked Jesus to forgive us and come live in our hearts. We have that known relationship with him. So Jesus is in the temple. What's Jesus going to do? He's going to make sure the temple, anything is wrong in the temple, He's going to bring it to our attention if we listen to him. But he does it for what? When he was wielding that whip, was his intention with malice? Was it out of anger and frustration? No, it was, was with the intent of helping God's people be right with him. And so when God is in our heart and he's doing and he realizes there's stuff in our temple that's not right and he brings it to our attention, don't turn, turn your back. Don't make a deaf ear. Don't close your eyes. Don't go la 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 because we tend to do that sometimes if we really don't want to face up to what he's trying to show us. But if we will humble ourselves like David and allow ourselves to be the filleted fish on the deck and allow God to poke through and look, even though we're very 
uncomfortable with the idea, we can know that out of God's love, he's looking for the right reasons to help us to take those things out so we can have the fullness of the new transformation of life in, our, in him. Does that make sense? The newness of transformation and power of God in our life. We can't experience the newness of Jesus unless we make sure with due effort, like Jesus in the temple, of identifying and dealing with sin. So we're saved. There's the water pots. Purification is part of the Christian walk. But rejoice in it because that work will bring fullness that we never knew we could experience in Christ. Right? Amen? Let's go to the Lord. Father, I want to thank you for each one here today. And I trust you, dear Holy Spirit, to carry this message to each heart. Father, uh, it's because of your love. It's because you love us so much. Your, your goal is not to ever um, bring shame on us. Your goal is out of love to help us to be closer to you. That's because you want us close to you. You want us to have the abundance of blessings. You want us to have the fullness of life. You want us to have the purpose that you want for each one of us. You want us to discover who we are as a unique creatures, a unique creation, one of a kind. You've made each one of us one of a kind, Lord, in you. And you want us to discover who we are in you. So when you examine us and we pay attention and you talk to us, that's an act of your love for us. And help us to rest in that, to rest in you, to know that my Father loves me and he's there to help me to be all that I can be in him. And there's no greater joy, no greater life, no greater uh, purpose than having the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, you help each one of us to love you more, to be open and humble before you, to listen as you would have us to, and to experience your power changing us for your glory. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen.